from the book of Genesis. We read from two chapters in Genesis. First of all, Genesis chapter 18. Both of the chapters will have to do with Lord, the Lord's dealings with Abraham and Sarah. First of all, then, Genesis chapter 18, we read the first 15 verses. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, the he there is Abraham. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hasted into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it unto the young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, and which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. So far we read in Genesis chapter 18, and now we turn to chapter 21. And we'll read the first eight verses. Genesis 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived, and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So far we read God's holy word. The text for the sermon is verse 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. 
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the opening words of this chapter express the faithfulness and the goodness of God. We read there in the very first verse of chapter 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. The Lord, all capital letters, Jehovah, the I Am, the unchanging, faithful God, had done what he said he would do. He visited Sarah and gave her a son. He fulfilled his promise. That's what lies behind the text that we consider this morning. That Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. This is a wonderful, and I emphasize the word wonder, miraculous. This is a wonderful fulfillment of God's covenant promises. We must not lose sight of that. How could we? Abraham and Sarah are inseparably connected with God's covenant. God established his gracious covenant already with Adam. After Adam and Eve fell, God came and promised a Savior. God reestablished his covenant, not with them as individuals only, but through the seed that he promised. God renewed that covenant with Noah and explained that it included his whole creation. But it is especially with Abraham that God would reveal the beauty and the wonders of his covenant, his gracious covenant with his people. How many times does not the scripture record that God said to Abraham, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed? The Bible three different times calls Abraham the friend of God. That's the essence of the covenant. God spoke with Abraham as though he was a friend with Abraham. Not an equal friend, but a sovereign friend. There was a true covenant of friendship between Abraham and God. Part of the blessing of that revelation of God's covenant is that God promised to establish his covenant not only with Abraham and Sarah, but with their seed, with their seed. That promise was spoken repeatedly to Abraham before he even had seed, before he had any children at all. And God gave Abraham the sign of the covenant, circumcision, before Abraham had any children. The sign of the covenant, circumcision. Since baptism is also a sign of the covenant, there is a connection clearly to this text at the time of baptism this morning. We know that the covenant that God established with Abraham and Sarah depended entirely upon the seed that would be born. The seed. Not meaning merely Isaac now, but the seed that would be born from Isaac many years later, the seed of the woman, Jesus. Without Jesus, the covenant is not. The covenant is established between God and Christ. And Christ is the mediator of the covenant, and he would realize that covenant. So everything about that covenant, all those beautiful promises of the covenant that God made to Abraham, depend on Abraham and Sarah having a son from whom would be born the Christ. That is the key to understanding the text and Sarah's laughter. It is not merely a laughter caused by the fact that she held a child in her arms, her own child, but it was because of the seed that would be born 
in the line of Isaac. Laughter is a significant concept in the text, and that's more, appro- more apparent in the original, where Sarah said literally this, the first word out of her mouth was laughter. Laughter has been made to me by God. Or laughter has been done to me. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a combination of that. Made or done. I think the King James translation is perfect here. God hath made me to laugh. But understand that the first word is laughter. God has given laughter to me. And so we take that as the theme of the text. The laughter of the covenant mother. Notice in the first place a joyful laughter. Secondly, a believing laughter. And thirdly, a thankful laughter. You might think maybe joyful laughter is a bit redundant, but of course there are many different kinds of laughter. There's bitter laughter, there's mocking laughter, there's a painful laugh, there's an embarrassed laugh. This is a joyful laughter that comes out of Sarah. God had made Sarah to laugh. How? By giving her a son. This is the fulfillment of the great desire of Sarah's heart to have a child. Sarah was the faithful wife of Abraham. That's the first thing we read of her. Sarai, her name was when we first read about her. Sarai, the wife of Abram, also his half-sister, and then immediately, and she was barren. She was barren. In faithfulness to her husband, she left behind her family, her friends, and went with her husband. When God called Abraham to leave Ur, she went along with him to Haran. Later on, God called them to leave Haran and go on to Canaan. Sarah went with her husband. God spoke many promises to them, to Abraham and to Sarah, told them that their children would inherit all this beautiful land of Canaan, the entire land. God changed Sarai's name to Sarah, meaning princess, and Abram's name to Abraham, father of many nations. They had many trials and troubles. There was a famine and they went down into Egypt and there they ran into trouble as Pharaoh saw the beauty of Sarah and wanted to take her to himself as another one of his wives. They had the same trouble in Canaan with another king in the land and they had trouble with Lot and his servants who were making trouble and they finally had to divide into their grief. Lot went toward the cities of Sodom. And yet God repeatedly promised Abraham and Sarah, you will have a son. Through it all, however, Sarah remained barren. Five years, ten, twenty. From the time that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees until the time of the text was twenty-five years years. At one time they despaired of having a child so much so that Sarah said, well, if you take Hagar, my, my maid, maybe you can have a child with her and that, that can be like our child. And Abraham sinfully agreed and that shows how desperate they were. What a strong, what strong desire was hers is almost impossible for any man here to understand. But a woman, and especially a barren woman, knows what this was like for Sarah. The desire for children arises out of the very nature of a woman as God created women, as He created Eve, and all women. God created women in harmony with the way of life 
that he determined for most women, namely to be a mother, to bear children, and to rear them. A woman is made for this. Physically, obviously, she's the only one that can give birth, the only one that can nurse. She is created emotionally and psychologically to be a nurturer of children. Even spiritually, she is given the gifts that she needs to be a mother. The all-wise, perfect creator made the woman for this high calling to bear children and to nurture them. Part of that creation, then, is that desire that God creates within the woman to be a mother, to have children. We see this in godly Sarah. We see this in Hannah, the mother of Samuel, eventually. We see this in Elizabeth, who would in due time give birth to John the Baptist. Even in Rachel, the wife of Jacob, she said to him, Give me children, else I die. The desire of these godly women led them to pray to God and led their husbands to pray to God for children. Note that this is the desire of a believing woman. With unbelievers, it is a different matter. Physically and psychologically, of course, they are made by God also to bear children. But the fall changed many things when God indicated that part of the judgment, part of the consequence of the fall of Eve was that, as he said to her, I will greatly increase thy sorrow and thy conception. And in order to understand that, you need to put it together and say, what that really means is God will increase the sorrow of conception. All the difficulties that a woman can have because of the way she has made, the difficulties of a pregnancy, the difficulties of giving birth, and then the difficulties of raising children. God said, I will increase greatly the sorrow that is connected with conception. I will increase that. And a wicked woman is very much affected by that. There is still that natural desire, still a desire to have children, but it is put down. They put themselves first, perhaps children, if it fits into what I want for me. It's my body. I may do with it as I please with it. Ungodly women instead fill their lives with all sorts of diversions. We're not talking about an unbeliever. We're talking about a believing woman. Sarah was that. Believing women desire children that they may raise in the fear of the Lord. They do not desire children for selfish reasons. They need to fight that as well as any one of us. Not for their own pride, not their ego. Not merely that they may have children in their old age who will take care of them. Rather, children for the sake of the church. Children for the glory of God and for His covenant. This is the great desire of the covenant woman to have covenant children. This was Sarah's desire. For years she longed for a child, but she was barren. No child was given. No conception occurred in her womb. And yet God's word remained, I will give you a son. And Abraham and Sarah waited until the Lord visited her. Then Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. As I said, this is the laughter of joy. 
God had given them a son. And in fact, there's a play on words here which we cannot even see in the English. And that is the name Isaac. The name Isaac was a name that God had specifically given to Abraham. We read of that in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall give thee a son indeed, bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. But Isaac means laughter. That's what the name means. God hath made me to laugh. She is expressing the great joy by the gift that God has given. The joy of a covenant mother whose longing has been fulfilled. She has received a gift from God. From God. God gives children. The birth of children is not something natural that just happens when we want it to happen. We do not determine, well, no, I only want this many children. Or I want children only when it's convenient for me. God gives children. He causes conception to occur in the womb, and without the work of God, no child is conceived or born. How different is the view of the world around us that so easily can influence our thinking as well. Children are not conceived as a gift, but as a burden. Financially, they are a drag on a person's life. A life that is centered on getting more possessions, more money, a bigger and better house. Children get in the way of those financial goals. They get in the way of a fast-paced life, parties and trips and doing whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. Many a married couple in the world thought that they wanted children but found out that having children was not at all what they thought it would be. In fact, having children can contribute to the breakup of a marriage and to the horrible sin of child abuse. Instead of a precious gift from God, the world uses birth control, as they call it, to prevent the conception of children, to space their children so that it will not be too great of a financial burden or too inconvenient for us at this time. And then they murder besides untold millions of unborn children. The laughter of the ungodly mother is not one of joy. Maybe bitterness. You can hear that she doesn't look at her children as a gift from God as she is screaming with hatred at her own children. Sarah's laughter was one of joy. God hath made me to laugh. God had given her the child that she so longed for for those many years. The child of the covenant to be raised in the fear of the Lord. The church would be maintained. God would continue His covenant. God would be worshipped by another generation. God had given Isaac laughter. And that brought her joy and happiness. But it is interesting that she adds, so that all that hear will laugh with me. It isn't a joy focused merely on this one woman, but she recognizes this as significance for many others. All who hear me shall laugh. Is that true? 
My heart goes out to them, women in the church who never marry and have children, though they desire it greatly, or women who marry and the Lord does not give children. Do you laugh with Sarah? Do you rejoice when a mother in the church has a baby? Can you rejoice with them as Sarah says, all who hear shall laugh? Sometimes we don't rejoice because the circumstances of a birth are such that we we would almost question the wisdom of God giving this child, giving this woman a child. Because of the circumstances of her life, because maybe the child that's given is a special child that will require tremendous effort and, as we say, sacrifice. But the implication of Sarah's words are we must rejoice. With every birth given to a covenant mother. Joy should fill the believer's heart. Rejoicing with Sarah that God has given her a child. But there is more to this laughter than this. It's more than the joy of a mother who finally holds a baby in her arms after many years of waiting. It's more than the happy parents who have their first child. If that's all that this text is about, then it's a nice story. Here's an old couple that waited for years and years and years, so wanting children, and now God finally gives them a child. And so, what a nice story. Now they have a child that will take care of them in their old age. Their name is carried on. And it probably gives us an opportunity to talk about the importance of children and that they're a blessing, a gift from God. But, but surely the text teaches us more than that. It teaches us that, but there's more. Because this laughter was also a laughter of faith. Faith that embraces the promises of God. That's what faith always does. It embraces the promises of God. The text highlights that because in the passage that we also read in Genesis chapter 18, Sarah's laughter was very different. We read in chapter 18 that the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah on the plains of Mamre. God came and he appeared in the form of a man and with him were two angels who also came in the form of men. And there Abraham displayed amazing hospitality referred to in Hebrews chapter 13 that some have entertained angels unawares. Well, that's what Abraham is doing here. He's entertaining the Lord and two angels. When he saw them coming, he ran out to meet them. This 99-year-old man ran out to meet them and told them that he desired them to come to his tent, that he could wash his feet there, that they could have a bite to eat there, and they could be refreshed, and then they could go on their way. And so they agreed to do so. At that time, of course, Abraham is totally unaware that it was God himself and two angels who were visiting him. But it became evident that the one of them was not an ordinary person, but in fact, God himself. As God said, where is Sarah, thy wife? And then God said in verse 10 of chapter 18, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life and lo Sarah thy wife shall have a son and Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him God is repeating an oft spoken promise to give them a son 
But Sarah laughed. In verse 12, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxen old, shall I have pleasure? That is, will I have a child to hold in my arms, my Lord being old also? She did not believe. And the previous verse, 11, says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well, stricken in years, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. From a human point of view, there was no possibility she could have children. And so she laughed, not believing the Lord's word. This is a serious matter. This is a serious sin that's recorded here in chapter 18. Because if Sarah laughed at the promise of God that God would give her a child, that would imply a rejection of all the promises that God made, all of which hinged on God fulfilling this promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah. God promising to Abraham and Sarah, look, look all around you, look at the land all around here. I will give all of this to your seed, which could never happen if Abraham had no children. God promising that Abraham's seed would be as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the sand on the seashore, innumerable, which could never happen if Abraham never had a child. God promising, I establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. It was impossible to separate Abraham from that seed that God kept talking about. God had changed Abraham's name, Abram's name to Abraham exactly with the words, because father of many nations have I made thee. And Sarah would be the mother of nations, and kings of nations were in her, God said. God made that emphatically plain when after they had a son Ishmael, Abraham and Hagar, and Abraham asked of God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God's answer was, No. The seed that I will give you will be of Sarah. If Sarah laughed at the idea of a son, she was laughing at all the other promises as well. And it's deeper than that. Because if Abraham and Sarah had no son, then all of the promises of the seed would also fall to the ground. The seed. God said to Abraham, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. How is that possible? Only because the seed of Abraham, the promised Messiah, would redeem his chosen people out of all the nations of the world. Indeed, all the nations of the world, the promised seed, would be blessed in Abraham's seed, in the Messiah. When Sarah doubted God's word, she also doubted, therefore, the promise of Christ. That was the laughter of unbelief. And God had to rebuke her and say, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah's laughter of unbelief changed, we know that, from Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll come to in just a bit. But now, at this point in Genesis chapter 21, the laughter of Sarah is not unbelief at all. It is a believing laughter because God had done what he said he would do. God performed a miracle. And we know that all babies are, in a certain sense, a miracle. We say that when we look at that little baby. And we think of Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonder, there's the word miracle embedded in that. Wonderfully made. And the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon inspired says in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5, For as thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor 
how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. No one can comprehend, though they study it, though they try to figure it out, no man can comprehend how that baby forms in the womb. It is a work of God. Marvelous. But this birth was a special miracle. A father of a hundred years old and a mother of ninety years old. God had done this. And he did it this way, that is, in a miraculous way, to draw attention to us, our attention again to this. His way of saving the church is such that it is all of God. It can't be something that depends on us. He saves. He saves alone. Romans chapter 9 emphasizes that where Paul is talking about the great doctrine of predestination and saying they are not all Israel that are of the nation of Israel. They're not truly Israel, not all. Who are? Well, it isn't those merely who are born of the flesh. It is those who are born of the promise. Those who are promised by God. The elect seed. Those are the ones that are saved. God's work from eternity. And here God had done the impossible. Giving a child to Sarah with whom it ceased to be after the manner of women. This is why Hebrews 11 speaks of Sarah's faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13, verse 11. 11 verse 11. Through faith, through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged God faithful who had promised. When we look at what God has done, we see also the wonder of what is coming. Because when God promised to Abraham, rather to Adam, to Adam and Eve, the seed, he said, this seed will crush the head of the serpent, the devil. God promised to Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. In thy, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The point is that the seed God promised to Adam would come through Abraham and through Isaac's line and eventually be the seed that would bring salvation. God promised that Sarah would bring forth this promised seed. That she was barren from the first day of her marriage and all the way to age 90 where she was beyond the age of bearing children only emphasized all the more that it is all of God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? God has done it. And that's the faith of Sarah. It's the faith that is not dependent on sight. It's not as if she really didn't believe until finally she was bearing the child in her womb and then carrying, holding that child. Oh, now I believe. No. There are times like that. Zacharias in the temple when God said that his elderly wife Elizabeth would have a child, he didn't believe it at first. When Thomas heard of the resurrection... He said, unless I see the print of Jesus, the nails in his hand, and put my finger there, I will not believe. And then Jesus appeared to him, and he saw Jesus and said immediately, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have believed. Era Sarah believed before she saw and held the child in her arms. 
She believed the promises of God. And those promises went far beyond merely that they would have a son. But it was the wonder that pointed ahead to the coming of the Messiah. She believed that the seed of the woman would come, would indeed crush the head of the serpent, would indeed save her from sin. That was faith. Faith that looked at the shadows and the pictures and around her. Faith that heard the promises and embraced those promises. That's the same faith you and I have. It's a faith that looks back. Hers looked ahead, but we look back at the completed work. We have far more an understanding because of the fact that God has revealed to us God came in the flesh. God was born in Bethlehem. God lived among men in human flesh, performed miracles and did His teaching, offered Himself on the cross with an atoning suffering and death. And God raised Him from the dead. That's our faith. We believe all that and so truly all who hear of Sarah's laugh of faith laugh with her that is every believer laughs with her we have great joy because God has fulfilled all the promises of the seed Isaac and the line of Jesus Christ because our joy is in Jesus, in His finished work. That's the joy we have. Our sin brings sorrow, suffering, heartache, death. Jesus delivers from all of that. He is our joy. But ask yourself, this is a sermon about laughter. We laugh a lot. I enjoy laughing. But what is our true joy? When we leave the service this morning and go in the narthex, what will be the main topic of our, of our conversation. What Jesus has done. What will make us laugh in the narthex? The joy that we have in Jesus? Paul says that's what it should be. Rejoice! He writes to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. That's where our joy should be. Not that we can't laugh about other things, but that's where our joy is. That's where our true, eternal, spiritual joy is. Jesus Christ. And that was Sarah's. And because it was a laughter of not only joy, but of faith, it was also a laughter of thanksgiving of humble gratitude to God because of course she realized what this all meant for her what an amazing thing for Sarah the birth of a promised son God clearly fulfilling his promises that she had once doubted it meant that her salvation was sure. It meant the, the Messiah would come. He would crush the head of the serpent. He would take his people unto himself. That's why everyone who hears rejoices with her. All believers, that is. Every believer lifts up his or her voice with joyful thanksgiving, rejoicing in the finished work of God in Jesus Christ. That full redemption on the cross where our sins were paid for by Jesus' blood. And the, the beauty of that salvation being worked in us as the Spirit sanctifies and He applies to us that fills our hearts with the love of God and causes us to enjoy life with God. Great thankfulness for every believer when they hear of Sarah's 
joyful, believing, thankful, laughter. All believers rejoice with her in gratitude. But there is a special thankfulness for believing covenant mother. Because of the privilege of rearing covenant children. Covenant mother who takes her place in the church and hears the promises of God. Many of those promises, the same ones Sarah heard. Saying to the covenant mother and father, I establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now Sarah was unique because God revealed to her clearly that this child given to her was a child of the promise which is to say he was an elect child of God chosen in eternity in Jesus covenant mothers do not have special revelations from God saying to them oh yes this child is an elect child of God we don't we don't get special revelations like that but we do have the same promises that God gave to Sarah. The promise that God establishes his covenant with believers and their seed and their children. That's all that we have to know. That God is pleased to gather his church from our children. I don't have to know, I don't have to have some kind of a revelation that every single one of them is. I, I fervently desire that. Every covenant father and mother does, of course, but but I don't need to know that. I only need to know that God is so good to covenant parents that he takes his church from our children. We rejoice with thanksgiving at the promise of God. And that thanksgiving is manifested in the life of a covenant mother and a covenant father. And that is manifested in many ways, but let me just bring out two. In the first place, it is that we bring our children to baptism. We bring our children to baptism. We do not do this because baptism saves. We do not do this because baptism gives them a better chance to be saved. We do not do this because we are earning something, some kind of a reward No, as the form says, it's not out of custom, not out of superstition, but it's because we are embracing the promise of God that He saves. And that, of course, means that none of our children will be saved because of what we do, because we were faithful in instructing them, because our efforts were sufficient? No. Rather, every believer knows that the salvation of his and her children does not depend on them. It's all of God. That's His promise. I establish my covenant. I save. If we went home from baptism today thinking, now it depends on me, there would be no comfort. But it's exactly because we embrace the promise that God saves and that God establishes His covenant that baptism is a tremendous comfort. So we manifest our thankfulness by bringing them to baptism. Secondly, we manifest our thankfulness by faithfully teaching our baptized children. Teaching them. God in His perfect wisdom gives His eternally chosen elect people as babies 
to believing parents so that those believing parents can teach them the Word of God, teach them who God is, teach them how they must serve that God. All of that, of course, in Jesus Christ. That's the response. Thankfulness leads to obedience to the command, teach your children. Teach them. Sarah laughed with joy and with faith and with gratitude, and so do we. Think about that, that God would save even one of our children and bring them to heaven. And often God is pleased to give more elect children to parents and And we see the evidence of the spirits working in those children. And we rejoice with thanksgiving. And one day in heaven, as Paul said about the congregation, you are my joy and crown when I see you around the throne of God. So will parents when they see children, their own children, at the throne of God, will rejoice. And so do all of us. Even if it's an unmarried woman or a married woman and couple to whom God has not given our children. Partly because every baptized child is yours. They're not merely the children of parents. They are, they are ours. We have a responsibility toward them. They're children of the church, children of the covenant. They are not yours in the same way that This little one is Tom and Courtney's. That's their child. They are responsible in a special way for him. But it isn't as if the rest of us have no responsibility. We do. It's our child too. And so we laugh with Sarah. With joy, with faith, with thanksgiving. Because our joy is ultimately in Jesus, a joy that is eternal, unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy goodness to us beyond anything we could ever think that we deserve. What a glorious God Thou art. And we thank Thee for that covenant. We pray, Lord, apply these words to our hearts and lives so that we have the true joy and we live out of that true joy and that great salvation in Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.